0: We're going to be in Colossians 2, so if you want to open up, go ahead and do that. I'm reading uh, from the ESV. While you're doing that, uh, I want to wish you guys a happy Valentine's Day. And in the spirit of love, I want to share just a little story. Uh, Fifteen years ago, uh, my marriage was on the rocks and about this close to being ended. And so my wife, in a really desperate place, did what anyone would do in that, in that situation. She decided to go on a road trip to a viewing and a filming of the Tyra Bank show. And on her way, in her friend's car, was a CD on the ground. You remember a CD? Scratched and skipping. And she lifted it up, and it was a marriage class, a marriage conference by some strange church called Reality Carpinteria, rededicated her life, prayed for me for six months, I get saved, and here I am. And I just want to honor the legacy of faith represented here that has impacted, I mean, I'm only in Stockton, but has impacted the globe. And uh, we're, we're so grateful to the Lord. Uh, personally, as a church in Stockton, uh, you all are so deeply loved. Um, what I'm gonna ask you to do is actually stand to your feet, if you're able, for the reading and proclaiming of God's word. We're in Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to focus on verses 6 and 7, but for context, we'll look at 1 through 10. And by the way, last time this passage was preached here, as far as I could tell, was over 10 years ago, and it was an hour and five minute sermon titled, Part (laughs) 1. So I won't do that to you today. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments for though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. God, thank you for today. We thank you for your word that we come under your authority. It's not just a trivial authority, but it's a supreme authority over our lives, over this church, over our world. There's not one square inch, as it's been said before, of creation that you don't declare as mine, mine, mine. We are yours. And we declare together that our greatest freedom and greatest joy is found under your authority. And so as our head, as our chief shepherd, as our leader, we ask that you would lead us today. Holy Spirit, speak to us, soften our hearts, uh, build up, Lord, tear down what needs to be torn down. And and we we ask, Lord, that you would do a a deep and profound work in our in our personal lives, but also, Lord, in, this, in the corporate life here. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Go ahead and be seated. When I was a boy, uh, I lived in Northern California right by uh, the American River where it comes out of the Nimbus Dam. If you're a combat fisherman, you fish this location, shoulder to shoulder, crazy salmon fishing right there. And we lived right next to the fish hatchery. And even as kids, I, I, we were just baffled by this process where these fish would spawn and hatch, and then they'd swim downriver out to the delta, out into the ocean, do whatever fish do out there, and then eventually make their way back up the river against the current to spawn and start the whole process over again. But by the time they made it back to this location... These fish were pretty tore up. In fact, I'm honest with you right now. I love fish, but seeing these fish, these salmon as a, as a child is the reason today I can't stomach salmon. These were mangy, eyes gouged out, missing fins, big old scars down their sides. These were the marks. These, these marks were the evidence that these fish had seen some things. They, they, weren't, they, they weren't nice aquarium fish. These were wild fish living the way that they were intended to live. And the really profound thing about this was that they made progress against some serious odds against them. And in a lot of ways, they shouldn't have made it. And in a lot of ways, many of them didn't. Changing currents, shallow rapids, uh, fishermen, prey, miles and miles of t- you know, turning uh, river. And, and while these fish were uglier than sin, I mean, just ugly when they got back. Their scars communicated a really, really beautiful story. And that's a story of perseverance. And so it is with God's people. I mean, for goodness sakes, Colossians and so much of the New Testament is written by an apostle Paul that was many times flogged, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. This was not a scar-free existence. A lot of what we are inspired by and we read in the authority of God's word was written by a scarred man. God doesn't promise a scar-free existence, not for your life and not for your church. 18 years. That means you've seen some things. And many many of you that have been around since the very beginning, you know Church years are like dog years, right? This isn't 18 years, this is 126 years. Your story is not a story of effortless success. Your story is not a story of flawless endeavors. Your story is a story of perseverance by God's grace. And as the old hymn goes, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace is gonna lead me home. God's presence with us, God's grace in our lives does not make us untouchable. But however, God's grace in our lives does make us unstoppable. This is one of the doctrines of grace. God's people will persevere. Can I get an amen? Amen. And today you stand at the precipice of a very new leg of the journey ahead. There's uncertainty ahead. There's change ahead. There's plenty more trial and danger coming ahead. The fact is that some of you, some of the people that were with you, the first leg of the journey are not gonna be standing side by side with you in the second leg. And yet the scriptures speak to you today, straight to you at this very pivotal moment. And it calls you onward. That's what Paul's getting at in verse six. Look Look at me again in verse six. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, so progress in him, so make forward movement through him. In the face of obstacles, in the face of setbacks, in the face of discomfort, in the face of uncertainty, in the face of awkwardness. You as God's people can, and you will, progress. You will. Now, Colossians has been called the most thoroughly Christ-centered book in the Bible. Who knows if that's true or not? But it is pretty certain that every at every turn the apostle Paul is turning us back to Jesus. Jesus, the one who is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, who is the creator of all things. Jesus, who is the head of the church. Jesus, who is the firstborn of the dead. Jesus, who is the reconciler of all things. Jesus, who is the suffering savior and the treasury of all of God's wisdom and knowledge. The one who conquered Satan's sin and death and the exalted king of glory. He's continuing to point us back to Jesus. And what Paul makes certain and clear here in this passage Is that any and every form of progress in the church, whether it's progress in courage or progress in love or progress in unity, any form of progress is going to be progress in Jesus. Forward movement, moving forward, is forward movement in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but if I were in your position right now today, I'd be asking this question How do we move forward? And in no uncertain terms, Paul says it is through Jesus. So church, how will you experience the kind of progress that the apostle is speaking of here? Well, it involves what I believe he lays out in the very next verse, verse 7. And this is going to be sort of the outline for this message. It involves being rooted, built up, established, and abounding. Let's begin with rooted. Rooted. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had this, we, we had this massive storm uh, tear through the city of Stockton. Now I was, I called up my brother who lives in Texas and I was explaining it and he was just like, yeah, 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 no big deal. But for us, it was a big deal. I had to like call the insurance company, open a claim because of the damage on our house. And so the next day I'm driving through town and it, it looks like a hurricane has has just torn through our city. And there's there's massive trees, Fallen everywhere on cars on into buildings on into the middle of the road and and what's remarkable about these trees is that despite this their massive like above the ground size with years of growth, maybe even a century worth of growth, many of the root systems that were sort of pulled up appeared to be really shallow, and all it took was one strong storm to topple over what appeared to be really, really mature trees. Maturity, or for the sake of consistency of language here, progress in faith is not simply about age. It's not simply about size. It's not simply about beauty. In the kingdom of God, maturity is about rootedness. And, and despite our society's obsession with living rootless lives where we are wanderlust and free and just ready to go on life's next adventure, always uprooting every single turn, we find something very different in the scriptures. What we find in the scriptures is a, is a very different vision for progress. And it's this, we progress where we're planted. How counterintuitive is that? We make forward movement in faith through being stuck in Jesus Christ. So many of us are so afraid of being stuck in life. There's probably a billion books out there about how to not get stuck. But how strange is this? Get stuck in Christ and you will never be stuck in life. You grow where you're planted. Novel idea, I know. Moving forward in life is found by putting down roots, putting your roots down into Jesus, putting your roots down into his church, putting your roots down into Christ-centered relationships. Now the word here for rooted indicates a once and for all sort of rootedness. We're we're planted in Jesus through faith in him. The language that the Bible uses is that we are united with Christ through faith. And this is a once once and for all kind of thing. But the way that we continue to grow as a stable tree does and should is by causing our roots to go down further into him. We want this kind of growth upward and out with beauty. I've got this magnolia tree in my backyard that buds this time every single year. In fact, just the little buds were poking out when I left. When I come back, it's probably just in full bloom. It's beautiful. That's the kind of growth we're always looking for. That's the kind of growth we're always obsessed with, but God's calling us to a different kind of growth. It's this kind of growth. It's the below the surface. It's the often overlooked. It's the not sexy kind of growth that creates stability and longevity in God's people. In Jeremiah 17, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord, that person, that person will be like a, a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in the salt land where no one lives. Wonderlust and free in the Christian faith means you are a tumbleweed in a parched land where no one lives. It's a one-way ticket to no man's land. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. It doesn't fear when a year like 2020 comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and it never never fails to bear fruit. Reality, a a plan to move forward is a determination to remain rooted. The below the surface, the often overlooked work of of growing strong in God. And the picture that we're given here in Jeremiah is, is these root systems that are stretching and straining towards the grace that's available to us in God's word and through communion and through worship and through Christ-centered relationships through the means of God's grace. Grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. Stretch and strain to the grace that's available to you. You guys still with me? Trains, birds. Secondly, the way forward involves being built up, being built up. Now, one of the more frequent ways, maybe the most frequent way that the church is described in the New Testament is that of a building. And don't, don't think like brick and mortar and metal siding like what's behind you. I'm talking like a spiritual building. We are living stones being built on top of one another, the foundation and chief cornerstone being Jesus Christ, Okay. And so what this implies, and I think that we forget this, what this implies is that the church, until Jesus returns, is still under construction. Okay, so there's never like an arrival moment for a church. The arrival moment is the arrival moment of Jesus Christ. And until then, you are always simply in process. You are always being built up. You are not yet finished. And so a church should always resemble a construction site. There should always be the evidence of sawdust and mortar and tools all around because the building is continuing to build up. When things get a little bit too tidy, that's when you should get nervous. When we start thinking we've arrived, that's when you should really start getting nervous. We are builders in the sense that we are seeking to build one another up. We're pouring into the lives of other people. We're seeking to expand the reach of discipleship in in this city. We are joining Jesus in the renewal of all things. But we need to pay attention here because being built up is said in the, the passive voice. Paul isn't saying go build up. He's saying be built up, which means that instead of it being all about what we do for God and sirens, what what Paul is talking about is what God does in and through us. Let me say that again. It's not about what we do for God. This is ultimately about what God does in and through us. So we are builders, yes, yes. But we can't forget what our Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples in Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 18, where he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church, Jesus says. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his famous, most famous book, Life Together says this. We must proclaim and he builds. We must pray to him and he will build. We don't know, we don't know his plan. We, we cannot see whether he's building or he's pulling down. It may be that the times by which human standards are times of collapse are for him the great times of construction. And it may be that the times from which the human point of view are great times for the church are actually times where it's being pulled down. It's a great comfort which Jesus gives to his church. You confess, you preach, you bear witness to me and I alone build where it pleases me. And then he says these words, don't meddle in what is not your providence. Step aside, young buck, and let God do the building. Do what is given to you and do it well and you will have done enough. This is... Should give you so much hope, and this should give you so much confidence moving to this next season. You have been given a promise that Jesus builds his church. Adam, where are you at? Adam He builds. Tell him later. Bo, where are you at? You watch, wait. It really is Jesus' church, isn't it? (laughs) Jesus builds too. Okay, church, you're here. (laughs) You plant the gospel, you water with discipleship, you pray. He brings the growth. Take that promise to the bank. Amen. kind of like this is what the apostle paul has already said in scriptures in first corinthians for one says i follow paul and another says now i follow apollos are you not being merely human what then is apollos what is paul servants through whom you believe does the lord assigned to each i planted apollos watered but god gave the growth you see where i'm going with this So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Amen? Amen. Amen. Third, the way forward involves being established. One of the major concerns that Paul has for this church that he can't be with uh, face to face is that they are knit together in unity and love and then also standing firm in their faith on their foundation. Horizontal unity, vertical stability. And so this sheds light on what is really meant by this idea of being established because it's kind of silly that Paul is saying to an established church, be established. Right, This church was established in what, like 2003? It was established. But Paul's words come to you and say, be established. You're established, keep being established. And what the early church believed this meant was what was called the cementing work of love. It's the idea that the foundation has to be constantly compacted firmly. And this is a theme that you see running all throughout the New Testament. Jesus introduces it in the Sermon on the Mount. A house is only as strong and stable as it's what? It's its foundation. Engineering, spiritual engineering 101. The foundation has to be firm. So low hanging fruit here. The Tower of Pisa. Picture it in your mind. As engineers have sought to understand what happened to this building, which was first constructed in the 12th century. So we're going on like a thousand years now what they found was it was ultimately an issue with the what? The foundation. The mix of clay, seashells, and sand was not compacted firmly enough on one side. And so, so much time and energy and resources have been spent trying to counterbalance this thing from falling over. And this can often be the case with Christian ministry. It doesn't matter what you build. It doesn't matter how beautiful it is. It doesn't matter how iconic it becomes. If the foundation isn't right, it's always gonna be in danger of falling and it's always gonna consume your time trying to prop it back up. Do you know what the the original intention for the the, the tower of Pisa was? I guarantee you don't. And I don't either. I thought I probably should look it up this morning. I was like, no, I don't want to know. At a certain point, the leaning tower of Pisa stopped serving its purpose and became the goofy, silly, photo iconic building. There it is. What's what's the purpose? So that people can stand a hundred yards away and hold their finger up like this. Thousands and thousands of man hours and stone for this. Paul's saying the foundation of faith has to be firm because there are gonna be pressures. You ever felt pressure? There's going to be storms. You guys experienced any storms? There's going to be things attempting to undermine faith, but the people of God must be established in the truth of the gospel. One of my favorite stories comes from Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers. He, uh, He was approached by a congregant who was complaining about his messages. How would you like that? To be the person known for complaining about the Prince of Preachers' messages. And their complaint was this, all your sermons sound the same. Doesn't matter where you're teaching, Old Testament, New Testament, they all just sound the same. And his response is amazing. He says, that's the point. And he said, I take the text And then I make a beeline to the cross. What do I do? I take the text and I make a beeline to to the cross. They're always gonna sound the same because they're always moving in the same direction. Christ and him crucified. Church, the way forward is always a beeline to the cross. Every step forward in the Christian faith is actually a return to the first things. Don't believe me, ask the Ephesians church the great theological powerhouse of the first century within just a matter of like a generation or two received a letter from Jesus saying, you have abandoned your first love, repent and return, come back. The same gospel that saved you grows you. You never move beyond it. You never hurry past it. You never try to fit it into what you do. It's the foundation that you keep compacting and keep compacting. You keep pressing in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that saves us from sin. You keep in, compacting in that, that, that we are justified by faith, that we have received the righteousness of God through union with Jesus Christ. Keep pressing in God's global mission to redeem among all people groups. Keep packing in that Jesus is returning for his church and he's gonna restore all things. Keep packing that thing in. Keep pressing that down, amen? All right, finally, abounding. Paul shows us that the way forward involves abounding. The word picture here that we're given in Colossians 2 is that of a jug or a glass that's overflowing. And the idea is that the work of God filling our lives with his goodness, constantly pouring into us by his Holy Spirit will inevitably result in abundance of thanksgiving. What's being poured in is going to overflow. So Michelle and I, early back in our marriage, we were celebrating our our anniversary at this really nice restaurant, an Italian restaurant. And Michelle's sister happened to work there. And so she tells her manager, it's our anniversary. And and he comes to uh, our table and he's like, okay, I got this story for you. One of our employees was down in the wine cellar. And they were doing inventory and they're up on the ladder and they're up on the top rack and they look back and they see something back there and they reach back and they find this old expensive bottle of port. And he said, we've just opened it and I want to give you a complimentary glass. So I'm young, I don't know anything about wine. I'm like, oh yeah, sounds like a great year, a port. I don't, I don't know what he's saying, but I'm like, okay, bring it. Now, if you know anything about a port glass, it kind of looks like your communion. <laughs> it's real small. It's very rationed. And um, so he brings these little glasses out. I'm, I'm expecting like a wine glass. I don't know anything about wine. And it's just this little glass. I'm, I don't, I don't want to, what's the old phrase? I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, but I'm like, okay, that's one tiny little swig. But it was the very responsible thing for him to do. It was a generous gift. Don't get me wrong. But it was carefully measured out. Friend, God does not just give us his best. The Bible says that God lavishes his best upon us. This is the theme that runs throughout the Bible. My cup, the psalmist says, overflows. Our cup overflows because God's abundance overflows. And we never have to fear discovering the bottom of our glass because we could never discover the bottom of God's abundance and goodness. Our cup will never run dry because God's abundance never runs dry. And so the people of God can't help but overflow. This is the idea behind praise. We overflow in praise. It's not, it's not mustering it up. It's just overflowing. We overflow in service. We overflow in generosity. We have been filled to overflowing with the very fullness of God through Jesus Christ. And we are now so aware that we are complete in him, that it comes out, that it just comes out. You will abound in gratitude. You will abound in generosity. You will abound in grace for others when you truly believe what Colossians 2 is telling you here. And it's that Jesus, that the embodiment of all of God's love and all of God's power and all of God's riches has flooded your life. Look with me again in verse 10. You have been filled in him. As the NLT reads, so you are now complete through your union with Jesus Christ. Church, you don't go into this next season lacking. You who have trusted in Jesus Christ, go into this next season full, complete, abounding. There's a famous story about John Chrysostom, the Archbishop of Constantinople in the fifth century, um, where he was being persecuted by the Empress Eudoxia and the Emperor Arcadius, that's a mouthful, and the Byzantine Empire, by the way. And he's being persecuted and he's summoned summoned before the Empress and she, she, she threatens him with banishment. You need to stop preaching this gospel or I'm going to banish you. And his response was this You can't banish me, for this world is my father's house. Well, then I'll kill you, the empress said. No, you can't. My life is hidden with God or with Christ in God. Well, I will take away your treasures, said Eudoxia. No, you can't, for my treasures are in heaven and my heart is there too. But I'll drive you away from all of your friends and you'll have no one left. No, you can't, he responded. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you for there's nothing you can do to harm me. There's nothing you can take from me when my everything is Jesus Christ. In seasons of change, in seasons of pain, in seasons of awkwardness, in seasons of loss, the people of God abound. And so I wanna urge you, I wanna urge you to remain open to God's abundance in this season. Don't close yourself off to God's abundance. Don't sell God's abundance short in this season. Don't diminish God's willingness to pour out into your life and into your church. And I want to urge you to refuse to allow that abundance to stop with you. In times of uncertainty, in times of challenge, what do we do? We do this. We hoard, we protect, we play it safe. We follow the status quo because we're not certain what's coming next. But playing it safe is not the posture of God's people that are confident in the abundance of Jesus Christ. And so when the temptation will be to grumble about how things are different now, well, man, just the glory, things are so different now. I don't know about this. I wanna challenge you to abound in gratitude instead. Replace grumbling with gratitude. And when the temptation is to hold back your time and to hold back your finances and to hold back your giving until you figure out how things are gonna turn out. I know that's the temptation. We're just gonna ride this out, just see how it goes. Abound in generosity instead. And when the temptation will be to speak negatively about others. And I know the temptation will be there. I have been through something very similar to what you're going through right now. And the temptation will be so close to start talking crap. Abound in grace instead. Speak words of encouragement. Speak words of love. Speak words of life. Rooted. Built up. Established and abounding. That's my prayer for you guys as a church. And I think that that should be your prayer as well because while it won't make you untouchable, if I'm reading this right, this is the recipe for an unstoppable church, an unstoppable church. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. And we thank you for the way that you speak to us, especially through the imagery. God, I just feel so stirred by in my imagination and in my heart, through these pictures of trees and buildings and foundations and cups overflowing. This isn't just the thing, a thing of fairy tales and imagination, Lord. This is your desire for our life. This is your desire for your church. And I pray that these pictures would become all the more vivid as we see and experience these things in our own lives. Let our roots go down deep into Jesus. Build us up, Lord. Establish us firmly in the faith and let our cups overflow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.